Well, thank you, young people. I appreciate the opportunity to get to know you as well a little bit. So it's going to be fun as we continue to learn. Um, I thought it might be helpful uh, to kind of take a moment just to kind of share a little bit about myself with you. Um, like I shared earlier, I mean, it's like in, out, we have a transition very quickly. I'm sure some of you, um, after you heard that I was being appointed here, very quickly went to the internet and searched for everything you could find out about me. And then there were others of you who were like, ah, we'll figure it out when he gets here. Um, so I'm sure we have it all across the range. Um, but just so you kind of know a little bit about me, as I already shared in the children's time, um, I grew up on a farm out in Burdette, Kansas, small community um, out around the Larner Dodge City area. I was actually born in Larnard. Um, you can take that for whatever it means. Um, if you don't know, there's a state hospital there. Um, but anyway, I, I was not born in the state hospital. Um, just so you can take comfort in that. Um, I grew up on the family farm. My grandparents had lived there prior to my parents. And, um, and then um, my parents still actually live there, um, but they have since retired, and we have relatives that now oversee the land out there. Um, growing up, um, went to the Methodist Church in our local community. Um, it was there during my junior high years that I came to faith in Christ. Though I'd grown up in the church, it's really when Jesus became real for me. Um, and then it was about sixth grade that I really started to sense a call to full-time Christian ministry. I'll be honest, I didn't know what that looked like at the time. Um, and so it happened that while I was on the mission field, actually in Haiti for a summer, um, while I was in college, that I was visiting with the United Methodist layperson from Virginia. And in that conversation, I couldn't tell you exactly what transpired, but something in that really started to signal for me. I, I knew that God was calling me back to become a United Methodist pastor. And so that call has been with me for a long time. Um, went to Friends University, uh, majored in religion and philosophy. Um, just a little bit ahead of going to Friends, I met my wife. Um, Nancy is from Coldwater, Kansas, and uh, Nancy and I met at a state piano festival back in high school. And uh, so we didn't know we were both going to Friends. We met each other, re reacquainted there, became really good friends. Um, and they got married after college. She has just been an incredible gift to me, um, incredible, um, just a, a co-laborer and best friend. Um, Nancy uh, works at Hayesville. She's the library media technology coordinator there um, and uh, at the middle school. So anyway, just really a blessing to walk life with her. Um, after um, Friends, um, went to seminary at Asbury Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky, um, you know, I was trying to figure out where I was going to go to school, and I went and visited, and when I did, there was just something about my time there that was really uh, annoying. I just really sensed God's presence showed up, and so I just felt like, this is where I'm supposed to be, and it was a great fit for me. Um, went there, part of my time there while I was um, studying um, at Asbury. I took one of the semesters and studied in, in Jerusalem, Israel, and so that was an incredible gift and opportunity. Um, and came back after being gone for five months, and Nancy and I got married two weeks later. And so we, uh, that's a whole longer story I can tell you about, but I won't bore you today. Um, and so anyway, after that, um, we have now been married for 34 years, and we have three children. Stephen, who lives in Kansas City with his wife. We have um, our middle uh, daughter, who lives in Sterling, uh, just down the road from Cynthia's uh, stomping grounds at Lyons. Um, and um, her husband, and then they have two, our two grandchildren, Layella, 
um, who is two, and Bri, or excuse me, Arco, who is two weeks old. And uh, yeah, if you wonder about the names, we kind of came by it. Uh, Stephen was our oldest, so that was pretty easy. But you know, then we got creative and named the second one Malaya, and now she's naming kids in things I have to ask her how to pronounce. So um, we're getting payback for that. Um, but we're really enjoying them. And then we just became empty nesters uh, two weeks ago because our daughter, Brianna, she was actually here with her husband in the second service, and um, they live here now in Wichita, and he works for Textron. Um, so we're just uh, really thrilled. Um, so anyway, just a little bit about our family. I'll, I'll introduce you and tell you more about it. A little bit also about just kind of um, who I am as I come in as a leader because, again, trying to figure out who is this before you. Um, just to tell you, my, my style of leadership is collaborative, and so I really feel like my role is to come in and to work with the leadership, work with those who are around us with the various gifts and talents that we all bring, and then how do we take that together prayerfully before the Lord and try to figure out where we're needing to head and move forward. One of the things about Aldersgate is you are, um, being on the cabinet, one of the things I've learned in the last six years as being the district superintendent for the Wichita West District is Aldersgate is an incredibly healthy church. So you guys have a great gift in that. I, I mean, I've gotten to see all kinds of things. And um, this is a really incredible church. And you've got incredible people here, incredible leaders. And uh, so uh, one of the things I learned and observed very quickly is when I was appointed here is that this is a church, you guys are running full steam ahead. Just what was explained through Daniel's uh, communication about um, the mission projects and the various things you do. And so one of the things I know is my job is to kind of get on board and just kind of figure out where I'm supposed to work alongside you to figure out where we need to move and direct into the future. So, um, so I'm going to be doing a lot of that right now is learning from you and trying to figure out where we are and then from there uh, trying to give perspective as we move forward. So it's a great, we've got a great team to work with. And um, so the other thing is, if I'm going to guess somewhere during the course of the time that I am gifted to be here, I'm going to guess there's going to be some times you are really excited about things I say and things I do. I'm also going to guess there are times that I'm going to say something and you're going to go, what? What is he thinking? What did he do? Did he really just say that? And you're going to go home and have a conversation about over lunch about it, probably. Hopefully you don't call all your neighbors. Um, but I really would say, if there's something I say, do, that offends you, or you question, or is a problem, please come and talk to me. Because to be honest with you, um, one of the things, I don't think I'm a scary person. I really will let you know, I will not bite your head off, and I will not chew you out. Because one of the gifts I believe about Aldersgate is that this is a congregation because you are healthy. I really see in our day and era, we need churches where people can come that are, have a variety of perspective. But how do we come together and how do we talk and how can we even disagree, but we still stay at the table together? Because what we have, we need that in our world because our world does not know how to do that. And right now we're incredibly polarized. And that is not the Jesus I know. The Jesus I know brought people to the table. And there were people all across the spectrums, but he got them all to the table, and they learned to talk and love one another, even if they walked away and did not agree. So I'm not about that everybody has to reach consensus, and everybody has to be. We all just want to first be faithful to Jesus. Amen? And so I can't be faithful for you, and you can't be faithful for me. 
you have to take that ownership. And so we do that together. Um, so how do we work at the table together? So that's really going to be my perspective, my philosophy, and how we work forward moving into the future. So I could say more as we move forward. I do want to say one other thing because you may wonder about this in the next couple of weeks. Um, I've talked with Daniel and Maria, and because of just the way schedules are working, and Daniel's taking on some extra responsibility with college students, and he's going um, to Angel House here in August. Maria's been working with, I know, heavily with camping ministry, and she's got a lot with the youth. So I'll take, I'm going to be preaching July and August, and then we get back to September, we'll go back to the rotational preaching schedule. So just be aware of that. It's not like, uh, for those of you who really love to listen to Daniel preach, because I know he does a great job, and, and Maria, that you're, you're, we're, not, we're not moving anybody out. We're going to continue to work that process, uh, but just wanted to let you know how we're kind of moving forward as we go. So... With that, this morning, um, I'd like to read our gospel reading, and it comes from Luke chapter 3, verse 21 through 23, and here's what it says. When all the people are being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry, he was the son, so it was thought of Joseph. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come to your word this morning, I just ask that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would just open up our hearts. Lord, speak to us what you want us to hear, and I pray that I would be out of the way, and Jesus, you would be seen, and what is done brings you glory and honor, and Lord, that each one of us, we would hear from you what you want to say to us for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the next month, I'm going to be talking about following um, the path of Jesus. And uh, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke. Now, if you know about Luke, Luke was a Gentile. Um, he was a physician. He traveled with Paul, if you remember, in the Gospels. Or uh, we find out later in the, in the Bible. And as Paul uh, traveled with Luke, Luke was a physician, so he liked to find the details. So he was out trying to um, find out all he could about Jesus and this account of who he was and the stories, and he was doing all the research. And then he was communicating the story to Theophilus and another Gentile, and, and he was really trying to get the story right to communicate who this Jesus was. And so what I want to do with us this morning is I want us, as we start this series, I want us to talk about knowing whose you are. Knowing whose you are. Now, I'm going to guess, in our present society, being seen as somebody's it can be somewhat offensive. It can be off-putting for us sometimes, because it's like, wait, nobody, uh, you know, I'm, I'm mine. I mean, I have the full control and who I am. And, you know, there are people that believe that, and, and that's prerogative. But I... But I do think I, it's worth us all asking, whose am I really, from my perspective? And I really want us to honestly take a moment to answer the question. And to be honest with you, you may find that it shifts. You may find that there are moments and there are times and there are parts of our lives who are being controlled by something other than ourselves, in different ways. And so I want us to think about honestly for a moment and ask our squills, whose am I? So who do I see myself as ultimately accountable to? For me. This isn't for somebody else. Me. Who am I ultimately accountable? Who is that? Or what is that? 
Or who or what do I look to as my authority over my life, over determining my direction, my decisions, my actions, my beliefs? Where is that for you? Who is it? Or what is it? And, and we probably could go several directions. Maybe you could expand this list. But I'd say one is myself. I'm it. I remember as a young person that there was a book out at the time, maybe some of you remember, it was called Looking Out for Number One. Um, how to get where you are going and what you want out of life. Um, and so there's, there's folk that I'm really just my own. I make my own calls, my own decisions. I'm looking to myself as my own authority. I mean, there's that, right? And then there's another person, maybe, is whose we are. It could be a spouse or a person I'm in a relationship with. It could be a parent or an employer or coach, mentor, religious teacher, popular voice in our or of it a friend, that I look to them, that ultimately I say I am of myself, but really when it comes down to it, I really look to them to be that voice for me. And really, and some of us may find ourselves there. I mean, there are moments in my life when I could answer that would fit for me. Or maybe it's something. It could be money. You know, that money has that ultimate say in my life. Or it could be my image, what that is. Or is it God? Is it really God? Now, I realize we're in church, y'all. So when we're in church, what's the right answer? God, right? We say it. But if we get honest with ourselves, I really want to challenge us to really think, is that really who it is? Is that who we want it to be? Is it who we think it should be? And, you know, um, I find in my life that I want to say for me personally, I'd like to say, I really think God, I want God to be that for me. But I realize also, I've been wrestling with this question for several weeks now, and I'll be honest with you, I'm saying, whose am I really? And when I wrestle with that, there are parts of my life that I would say it's God. And there are parts of it, it's other people. And there are parts of it, it's something. And I have to get honest about that in myself, and I, because it's easy for me to say, oh, I'm just all under God. But Jeremiah 7, verse 9 says this. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things, and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Our hearts can sometimes lead us astray. So, you know, it's a challenge, right? Sometimes. And so I think we have to continue to ask this question of ourselves. So I really want to encourage you this morning, and, and in the days ahead, this is not a, a question you need to answer for anybody else other than yourself, but I want to encourage us right now to give the Lord permission by the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, search my heart and help me know whose am I? For me, who right now, do, is it myself, is it another person, is it something, is it you? Now, I, I say all this because now as we look at our gospel lesson, and we look at the gospel of Luke, and we look at him dealing with Jesus, you know, whose was Jesus? Now, granted, you and I, when we look at the gospels of Luke and Matthew, we get a kind of behind-the-curtain peek. Because we get to see the birth narratives, right? We get to see that an angel comes and tells Mary she's going to have a baby and it's going to be the son of God and Joseph has a dream and the shepherds get the big angel choir and the wise men get their vision, right? So we've got all of these things coming at us to say, oh, it's Jesus God's son. But the question is, when did Jesus figure it out? Did Jesus know it? I mean, as soon as he could walk and talk, like, I'm Jesus, I'm God's son. I mean, did he have it figured out? 
Or was it a moment by moment, did it take a lifetime? What was it? I mean, I don't have the answer. Theologians argue and debate about it, right? What was it? But as we look at the story of Luke, he does confront this question a couple of times. And first of all, I think is in the story of Jesus when he comes to the temple when he's age 12. And if you remember, Jesus is gone to the temple with his parents. He's gone to Jerusalem for the Passover. And um, Jesus um, hangs out there. And then his parents get ready to go home. And apparently, Jesus is supposed to know they're supposed to be leaving. The parents leave. And they think he's with the friends. And when they get for the stop for the night, they look around and they can't find him. It's kind of like going to Disney World and then getting to your going, leaving Disney World and getting to your first stop for the night at the hotel and looking around and saying, whoa, we're missing a kid. And, uh, and so all of a sudden they go back, right? And they look for him for three days. I don't know about y'all, but I'd be a little ticked if I was the parent. But anyway, they find Jesus, and they say, son, what were you doing? What were you thinking? And they find him talking with the elders, and he says, "Um, did you not know I must be about my father's business? Now, that can mean a couple of things. Jesus had it all figured out. I'm God's son. This is where I'm supposed to be. It also could partially be at age 12 and 13 that for a Jewish boy, they were transitioning into adulthood, and it's when they decided that they were going to follow the Jewish faith. So it's possible that Part of it was that I have decided I'm going to, I know the faith and I know what we believe and I'm going to, I'm going to line up with it or, or it could be I've got it all figured out. We don't know for sure. But we do know he goes back home and he follows his parents. He's, he submits himself under their authority during that season. I, and I think it does say, even when we know whose we are, sometimes we have to, uh, we're going to be under other people's authority. That just happens for a season, potentially. But he goes on then, the second story then that Luke gives us about this is the baptismal story. Because when Jesus comes, I mean, have you ever thought about it? Maybe you've talked about it in sermons here before. But have you ever thought about why did Jesus go to get baptized? I mean, he's the son of God. He's he's never sinned. The Bible says he was without sin. Why did he need to go? Because oftentimes when we think of baptism, we think of it as something where you're going to get cleansed, right? You're, You're making a confession that I need Christ to forgive me of my sin and why did Jesus need to do that? Well, some theologians believe it's because Jesus was identifying as being the one who would wash away sin. But there also seems to be a sense of it that Jesus is making a proclamation to say, I am fully God. I mean, I'm all into this. He was committing himself. And what I love about that story is then after he comes out of the water, he's praying, the Holy Spirit lands on him. And what is the words Jesus hears? You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And, and you'd think he had it, right? I mean, he knows that he is God's son. How many of you, when you came to faith, if you've come there, that you heard that sense that God had named you and you were called as his? I mean, was there something there that really owned that? But then, may I ask you, since that time, have you had some moments when you go, whoa, Am I who I think I am? And I, you know, and I don't know if Jesus had it all settled after the baptismal experience. And, and I think it's interesting then, right after the gospel, after the baptism, it's interesting, if you look in the gospel of Luke, you find there is a massively long genealogy of Jesus. I didn't even make you have to listen to that today. 
and it tracks it all the way back to Adam. That in a sense, I think it's tying that, yes, there's a sense that he's a beloved child of God, he is God in himself, but also there's a sense that Jesus was a real person with real ancestors, with real choices, with real temptations, going clear back to Adam. He had all the stuff you and I had to deal with and he had to confront, who's am I? Who's am I? Who am I going to live as that ultimate voice over my life? And so Jesus leaped out of this position, I think, that ultimately he knew he was the Father's and he had decided that God was going to be above all else in his life. Not because he had to, but because I think Jesus had really felt and experienced the love of God. Jesus loved God, and he knew he was loved by God. I hope today you know you're loved by God. I hope you know you are valuable and rich wherever you find yourself. You're loved. God loves you like he loved Christ. And he, and he knew his father loved him. And he was clear on that. And I think he had, though I do think, when Jesus walked the world, I do think, though he was fully God and fully human, I think Jesus still had to possibly wrestle with the question. Because he had a lot of people come at him and say, are you really? You think you're the son of God? You think you're all that in a bag of chips? I mean, Really? And, and so he can easily, it, you know, Jesus had to wrestle with the struggles and probably the temptations that still came at him. That's why I personally believe that Jesus would go spend those all nights in prayer because he had to go back and realign. Whose am I? I've heard the voice. I know God is over me. I'm fully his. I commit it. But he had to redo that periodically to rethink that to, so he could stand strong. And even at the darkest hour, right before he goes to the crucifixion, what's Jesus do? He goes to the garden. He says, God, man, right now, I don't like where this is going. I don't really want to do this at all. Whose am I? I'm yours, whatever the cost. So following the path of Jesus for us, what does it do? And I think we know whose we are. And if we can center it in God, I think one, it brings an assurance and love. We know we're loved by God. When we've heard, we hear Jesus, we say, Jesus, I know you are the one I'm trying to line it all up under. We hear God saying, I love you. It gives us, when we know that Jesus is the one whose we are, that it gives us clarity that we know who we are and who to trust and who to seek for direction and thoughts and beliefs that we're going to God. And not that we get it all figured out, but really that's where we're positioning it. That's where we want to go. We really want what God thinks and what God wants. And we're seeking that out for ourselves. And we know that when we have questions where we can go and ask them and God's not going to write us off. And when we have fears and worries and pain, it's where we find strength to stand. And it brings us a sense of security and peace and joy. So I hope today, I mean, so today, whose are you? And I hope we might spend some time in that question for ourselves. And I'm, it's not a one-and-done deal. It's a continual question we ask. I don't think for God that God ever gives up on us, but I think for us to continue to keep God as that position is so important that that's where life is ultimately found to the fullest.